Welcome back to System Ministrivia, the podcast where we just go and go and go on and on and on like the Energizer Bunny. Up tonight, we'll be talking about the CMS Showdown, discussing the merits, benefits, Ooh, and weaknesses. Go clone! <laughs> this is actually the topic that spawned the idea for the entire podcast. Uh, we'll talk more about that when we when we talk about the topic. We'll talk about Plone, WordPress, Joomla, Drupal, Text Pattern, a couple others. We'll also be talking about managing updates in a responsible fashion and maybe otherwise. We'll be talking about backups, different ways to perform backups, what type of backups you might need for your environment, things like that. We'll be talking about how to perform your own security audits before the auditor does, which is a very good practice to get into. And we'll be talking a little bit about rsync and why you might want to use it over SCP. This is Brent. I'm Jonathan. And this is Sysadministrivia. So the uh, blog slash cms showdown was the progenitor is is that the right word i'm looking for dude you're the post previous i don't have a word i know i was in school for english but i don't have a degree and i I feel like that exempts me from actually having to know what i'm talking about let me look it up yes kind of sort of (laughs) so not really really. it's more of a person and it's more of like an ancestor rather than a catalyst We'll just call it a catalyst, because that's a lot more accurate. <laughs> oh, man. I love how I'm, like, describing why it wasn't accurate, and then it came up with something accurate, and I was like, oh, actually, I should have just said that. Yeah, so the uh, catalyst for our podcast, we argue a lot in IRC, privately. <laughs> that's because you bitch about everything. I don't... Well, you're using WordPress. That is so dumb of you. First of all, I sound nothing like that. No, I just sounded just like... <laughs> no, I, I, we'll let our readers decide. They can hear both of us. Well, see, you already fucked up because they're not reading it. I mean, our listeners. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Whatever. They read the show notes, hopefully. So they're kind of readers, maybe. Maybe they read my rants on Twitter. I'm not... I'm not... I don't complain about it. I'm just curmudgeonly. And I think that they do things that are very bad and people should know how bad they are. And they should feel bad about it because they're horrible. Okay, shout out to my friend Chris because he always says things like, I'll say something or I'll do something. And he'll be like, you should feel bad right now. That's. I think that's actually started with Zoiberg from uh, Futurama. That's an awful thing to tell someone like, I hope you feel bad. Yeah, right it's now. like, that's, you You did bad and, I, and you should feel bad. Pretty sure it's... Like, someone either said that to Zoidberg, or Zoidberg said that on an episode of Futurama. I'm pretty sure. Anyways, so, uh, I haven't used some of these, but I have had to configure most of them. I'm in the same boat with that. Yeah. There's one that I've never actually touched. Was that Ghost? No, it's Joomla. Oh, Joomla. Joomla's, it's a lot like Drupal in terms of, like, setup and, and initial configuration and things like that. And I'm not a fan of both of them. I would say Drupal is significantly friendlier, but it's just as convoluted. You know, it's very convoluted in how it approaches layout and things like that. But it is it is pretty extensible too so it's very extensible you can get a pretty good looking like if you can dream something up you can make it look that way with plone which i like i mean drupal no not plone plone will crush your dreams (laughs) drupal yeah uh plone was the one i've only had to like set up i think it's like Perl or python or something like that i remember it used to some cgi yeah it's been a while i could look here in a second yeah while you do that i just know that it's remember not being impressed by it but that was a while back so Joomla and Drupal, like I said, you know, Drupal, of the two, I would probably pick Drupal. I mean, for Pete's sake, they have like their own error log and everything incorporated in. So it's it's pretty handy. My personal favorite is text pattern and Jthos personal favorite is WordPress. I'm going to not true. I'm going to hold on. Hold on. I'm going to I'm going to hold off on, on getting into that. 
get into the the hairy of it while you damn you while you look while you look up what plone's written in or opera or what its engine's written in well he's doing that still how long does it take to google well i got distracted because i was listening to you and i knew you were going to say something like that like well jathan loved wordpress <laughs> i mean it's it's i think it's true i think it's python python yeah i i feel in my gut that it's python and usually i have a pretty good intuition there's honestly like not a good answer anywhere maybe it's maybe it's a, a multitude of different cgis which would be just horrible but yeah jason also mentioned um in the the pre-recording meeting the little sesh we have the hangout it's not actually like a google hangout we just sit on mumble and, and shoot the shit and talk about what we're going to talk about he mentioned ghost uh ghost is a no dot j is it no dot js or just no js also don't know okay well i'm sure the the, the web devs out there are, are tearing their hair out now but i think it's node.js okay i know that's how it's written but i don't know how it's pronounced in in speech anyways so ghost is a a node.js blogging platform we didn't really count it in in our talk because it's more geared towards being specifically a blog rather than a full-blown cms and text pattern sort of falls under that category but i mean i'll, I'll talk a little bit more about that as well when we get to it and and i'll justify why i put it in the cms section but I've I've had to configure Ghost. It configures all right. I mean the yes. the dev distributes like an installer script when I last I had to install it and it's it's all right. But like using it, I'm just like yeah, not really impressed. It's like a blog for web devs, you know. So if you're a web dev and you want to use the hot new shit, just go with with ghost i don't know i don't i don't understand the hype it's apparently the new hot thing but i i just don't know why then again i don't really blog so it's not really a concern of mine i would like to blog i'm going to start blogging i'm working on it i have a lot of interesting things to say i hope everybody feels that way i feel like if you haven't started a blog yet and you have i feel like you have started a blog before and you just stopped updating it well, I blogged for a while, and it was actually fairly successful in the sense that I got a lot of participation from others. Well, why'd you stop? Well, that was it. I uh, I had it running. It was either on my Tectonic VPS or it was when oh I was still gosh. using shared hosting with GoDaddy. Wow. And so once I migrated to Linode, I was just like, nah, I don't need it. It's true. Yeah, I mean, it's... it's I just never saw the it's point. It's a really big time commitment. Yeah, yeah, it's, I mean, it's big time. Usually, I think, sorry, what were saying? I was going to say, I mean, for me, like, I just wish, because I'm out in Colorado, most of my family's back in Pennsylvania, I wish that I had a better way to share, like, day-to-day -day things with them, but not, like, the things I say on Twitter, because that's inappropriate. Well, just like, make a different Twitter, then. No, but that's not even it. Like, I want to sit down at the end of the day and, like, recap my day, or, like, every couple days, like, talk about the last few, and, Facebook and have status. them... Yeah, I don't know. I'm going to just start vlogging for my family. There you go. Vlogging. Like, hey, this is my face. Here's some <laughs> pictures. This is my face. Here are some pictures. <laughs> this is that's my what Shay Carl does, right? My horse like is Chris amazing. Perillo. What? Chris Perillo, Shay Carl. That's what they do. It's just their face and some pictures. I don't know who they are. Oh. Well, oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know they're. Okay, yeah. The the names didn't register at first. I'm like, they sound kind of in there. How do I know? And then I'm like, oh, yeah, they're YouTube personalities or whatever. All right, let's get to the real meat of this topic. Are you ready for it? I'm ready. Are I'm you sure? Because talking. I'm going to tear you a new one. You know that, right? Well, we're not going to just sit here and argue first. We have to talk about them all. I know. I just want to make sure you're ready for the eventual teardown. Whatever. I will defend <laughs> myself. Okay. All right. So what do you, you want to open with? What is your favorite CMS? Ooh, my favorite? Yes. 
No, no, no. That's not how I want to stage this. <laughs> no, you said WordPress wasn't your favorite, so I figured it was a good question to start with. Well, I don't know if I have a favorite. Okay, well, you should have just said that first off. I guess if you want me to be honest, WordPress is my favorite, but it's also the one that I've used the most often. Mm-hmm. So, it, by default, I had the best experience with it. Right now, I'm doing some freelance stuff, and I'm using a lot of Drupal, and I kind of like Drupal. I could see myself using Drupal. Drupal's... It, it... It's all right. It's yeah. not the most convenient, but like we said before, if you can think of a layout or a design or like a, what they call, um, oh man, what do they call it? User experience. Block. A block. Oh, a block, yeah. So in, in Drupal, you create your own blocks and then you can arrange these blocks on the page, but you can combine different types of blocks to make one block that you really like. It's very dynamic. And that's right. And in that way, I think Drupal is, I like Drupal for that. Like you can combine social media and contact form blocks to make one block for like a content contact page or mm -hmm. you know it's pretty much endless possibilities because there's so many types of blocks that you can add to your drupal installation yeah so i don't know i mean my favorite i, I guess i'm gonna have to say my favorite is wordpress as i as i said yeah but but <laughs> but you don't love wordpress it's not because i want to i don't want wordpress to be my favorite it just <laughs> is <laughs> Are you are you apologizing for your favorite right now? Is that what you're doing? I kind of, I kind of feel like that's what's happening. I kind of I, I get that message. The thing is, is I understand. Like the thing is, is what Brent and I argue about is the security of WordPress versus something like Text Pattern. And I understand where he's coming from. I understand like if we were basing this solely on security, WordPress would not even be in the running for my favorite. But in terms of a CMS that is extensible, flexible, easy to install, maintain. WordPress takes the cake. I don't know. I feel like you can't list adjectives. I feel like when we're doing this, you need a, um, what do they call it? A rubric. Grid of scoring. You've got security. I would give WordPress a flat goose egg, just a straight up zero. If I could give negative numbers, I would, because they've, they've actually probably encouraged... When WordPress instances have gotten compromised... They've used, like, the PHP scripts to attack other WordPress sites. That's that's kind of a negative score in my book. When your security is so bad, you're attacking the security of other blogs. So, you know, security would be one scoring. I'd say out-of-the-box aesthetics could be another. I'd say WordPress gets maybe a three or four there. It's pretty. Out of what, though? A five. Okay. Yeah. Three or four. I mean, it's pretty, but that ain't everything. And especially that's not, that's not what's important to me. Have you seen squareroot.net? <laughs> you know? It looks like it was made in the 90s. But I'm happy with that because it serves its function just fine. <sighs> Calm down. Calm down. No, I'm getting all like jumpy over here. Like I want to beat the shit out of somebody. <laughs> this is what this conversation does to me. Because you know I've, I've fixed so many more WordPress installs than you have. I've been exposed to so many more WordPress installs that other people have, I almost said maintained, but more accurate would be not maintained. But why can't you have something as secure as, let's just say, text pattern, but as beautiful, elegant, extensible as WordPress? Because as you add complex complexity and sh the shiny, that's where the a lot of the vulnerabilities happen. So we we talk about text pattern a little bit, and you know, we'll as always, we will link to all of these in our show notes so you can can see for yourself. Text pattern is a lot more probably held a lot more modular and skeletal than all of the others, even Drupal. It involves a lot of initial setup, but you can you can still make it look absolutely gorgeous. And if you have like 48 hours to devote just to that. Yeah. Yeah. So if you're like a professional blog developer or a professional blogger, what have you, it's it's going to be well worth the investment. You can make it support everything WordPress does. 
it's going to take maybe a little bit more if time. If you have an additional 950 hours I don't, to devote no, just I, to that. Well, and that's my other point. How many people need everything WordPress includes? Okay, that's true. And that's and that's where I'm coming from, you know? So, down. so you've got like... You can make text pattern do the things in Word. I should have said this. You can make text pattern. That's a hard word to say. Do the things in WordPress that you like in WordPress. I should have. I should have qualified it like that. Yeah, you can make it do everything WordPress does too. But it, it will take you a fair bit of time. Maybe not nine hundred hours, but fair bit of time. But it's it's much smaller. It's got a much smaller footprint. It's got it's it's a lot harder to brute force. One of WordPress's biggest problems is brute forcing. You can easily hide the login for your text pattern. And when I say e- easily, I mean like more easily than WordPress. Because uh, WordPress, you'd have to edit the template itself. Template itself. There's a lot less code. So there's a lot less possible vulnerabilities. There's a lot less zero days. I think there's maybe been only like one or two security inc- incidences in the, the history of text pattern. And WordPress maybe gets one, one a week, maybe at the least once a month at the worst once a day so it, there's a lot of security issues with wordpress you have to constantly keep it updated text pattern doesn't see too many releases because there's not a lot of stuff they can fix so if you like stale releases um let me put it this way if you're more likely to use uh centos than gentoo or ubuntu ubuntu would be the, the word wordpress go with text pattern you know by all means it's it's stable it lets you do a lot more it lets you change a lot more without breaking other shit but if you like the shiny, and you you might if you're an Ubuntu user, you know if if you like the shiny, if you like the user centered experience, is a phrase I usually like to say in quotes because I I generally have a, a low regard for users, which is wrong of me, I know, but whatever. Without them, I wouldn't have a job. I understand that, but like at the same time, like I'm just trying to do my job. Don't make it harder for me. So they're very user centered in their experience, but WordPress because it's so popular and because it's so complex. This is a part that they miss. It's not just because it's popular, because it is so complex and overly complex. It's like spaghetti, you know, it's just really a mess. It's very easy and frequent to uh, exploit. So you're, if you don't stay on top of it, and if you don't update your WordPress regularly, you will get compromised. It's, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of like when at that point. So are you suggesting that if you have WordPress and you update it every time there's an update, you would be okay? Uh, I would say you're safer. I wouldn't say safe. I would say safer because the code is still ultimately compl- so complex and there are things like zero days and the irresponsible disclosure of WordPress zero days is pretty popular and people just willy nilly install themes and plugins and stuff to their WordPress without thinking about what's in them. I would not say you are safe. I would say you are safer than if you did not update, but not updating let me put it this way. So you may be able to walk around a crowded room without stubbing your toe, but not updating WordPress is like turning the lights off in that room. It's going to happen. You know, it's it's just a matter of when. You're more likely to stub your toe in a crowded room, just as you're more likely to get compromised if you're running WordPress. But there are things you can do to lower that probability or discourage that probability. I don't want to say prevent it, but discourage it. Do you understand? Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think also a lot of a lot of the the reason it's more popular is it it is pretty. It's very pretty. It's got a lot of shiny buttons that do a lot of shit. Some that not everybody knows what the shit it does. You know, like if you are looking for something that where you you just want a blog, you may not worry too much about security and, and things like that. Sometimes it's it's worth putting a little bit of extra thought and consideration into. <sighs>
like many things, this has turned into a rant about security. Yes, yeah, text pattern. Well, and I'll grant it to you. Like you, you said it, text pattern out of the box is ugly. It's fugly. It's real ugly. But I mean, that's they they didn't distribute it with the intent of being served like that. They distributed it with the intent of you building upon it. And that's what's so tough, though, is like, as we mentioned, it is hard to blog. It's a lot of time and effort to blog and to do it well. So when you're taking your blogging platform on top of that and adding all this complexity, removing the complexity, well, you're removing the complexity, but you're adding, adding a work. lot of work. Yes. That's something that's a deterrent. I can see that, but I, I think everybody feels entitled to having an online voice these days, including me. I mean, I, I started a podcast. I'll be the first to admit I feel entitled to, to having a public voice. I, the difference between them and, and me, I say them, like the general public and me is like, I learned how to set that shit up. I did it myself. I didn't expect a free ride, and I didn't expect to have it easy. I just did it. I learned what I needed to do. I, I learned best practices. I read, I've read. i read the RFCs, you know, all sorts of crazy stuff. So I know what's going into it, and I feel like I came out of it more appreciative of what went into it. And yeah, maybe a little bit elitist about it, but I'm sure other people have reason to be elitist about other things. You know, like my, my girlfriend, um, she's all about hiking. I prefer camping, but she's all about hiking. And she is very particular about where she likes to hike. And I think that's fine. You know, like it's it's something she's put a lot of personal investment into. And I think she has the right to make a criticism of it. Doesn't mean I'm not going to have my own opinion about the best place to hike. But I mean, shit, I'm going to voice it. But I mean, she might have a better idea of what she's talking about. I, I kind of take the same approach towards public online presence not necessarily blogging in general because i hate blogging yeah well okay so moving on i mean <laughs> we talked now about text pattern and wordpress but we really haven't mentioned much else yeah yeah i mean i don't have much else to, to say about the other ones other than what i did you know i mean uh plone is probably something you want to avoid joomla because oh but wait, wait because why a uh, python straight up yeah, but okay, so from a security standpoint, though, do you have issues with anything besides WordPress? Because I mean, you don't really hear about Drupal sites just getting brute forced or anything. Yeah, and they do get attacked once in a while, but I mean, not at the not at the rate or with the ease as, as WordPress. But no, I mean, I'd say the security is the biggest problem for me. But when you do get compromised, they they take this attitude that it's it's your fault, and they've done some things to make it a little bit better. Like now you can auto update with with WordPress if you have a WordPress cron or an actual cron job installed or something i don't know they they it just rubs me the wrong way and when i see something that's done poorly get very popular because of superficial reasons i get very angry and very passionate about not liking that that's fair yeah same reason with mac os x and windows yeah yeah though windows has gotten a lot better I will, I will say that to their credit. They're at least trying now. <laughs> they used to not. But I found out that Patch Tuesday is only once a month now. <laughs> I thought it, it I, I can remember a time where I'm pretty sure it was once every two weeks. And I'm almost positive before that it was once a week every Tuesday. So eventually maybe we'll come to the point where like they only release updates once a year. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, you know, that's in general, they're doing, they're doing other things that I'm, I'm behind. I still don't like it as a software platform, but whatever. They're, they're working on it. They're working on it. And I, I can respect that at least. And there's, there, it looks like they're trying to make amends with the open source community now, even after calling Linux a cancer. But, uh, yeah, well, we can talk about that in another episode. It's, it's an interesting topic for me. All right. Well, here's where I'm going to leave the, um, the CMS thing for me. Yeah. I am going to try to get back into blogging. Okay. I am going to use text pattern because it is your CMS of choice, if you will. And because I'll laugh at you if you get compromised. Well, sure. <laughs>
Right. So I encourage you to all follow along. You can check in. You can see how long it takes me to get something that doesn't resemble like a piece of paper with some pencil scratched on it. There you go. Do you have a domain for that yet? Sure. I'm just going to use jonathandemacy.com. All right. I'll link to it in the show notes. On Right on the naked domain or you know, subdomain it or... No, it'll be right there. This is going to be like the legit thing. It's going to be my public front in that sense. So I want it to look good. I want it to work well. I guess we'll see how that works out. There you go. I talked about CMS. Updates. Updates is up next. Updates. Yeah. We actually, this is the first time we tried this. We're recording two episodes back to back right now. This is, we recorded season zero, episode five right before this. This will be season zero, episode six. Just kind of marathoning through two of them today. And in our pre-show meeting before season zero, episode five, I opened up Audacity and all of a sudden it was a lot sexier. And I was like, oh, what? What's what's going on? Um, turns out Audacity had an update. Um, I'm using Audacity 2.1.0. I think I was using Audacity 1 something, 1.8 before maybe. I'm on 2.0.6. Maybe it's maybe it's that 2.1 branch then where they introduced the changes. Yeah, these are more like two these these are more like sub branch uh, changes anyways yeah the layout's a little bit cleaner i'm liking it a whole lot more it's uh it's got an improved in my opinion oh, what's it called meter sound meter monitor i guess where you check the levels yeah where you can view the levels so that's been improved a little bit it can uh it doesn't activate until you click on it which is i think pretty nice if it's distracting for you and i i haven't tried it out yet because i haven't gotten a chance to edit our episodes yet but i'm excited to try out the new uh what what did they say re- they replaced so there was an effect that was called noise removal and now they have what's called noise reduction and it's supposedly much better but obviously we don't know yet yeah yeah so i'll i'll let you know in the show notes and you'll hear for yourself i make heavy use of uh noise removal when i'm when i'm doing these things or noise reduction oh you know, noise reduction is still there no that's what it was called before was noise removal oh oh, oh right 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 okay Got it. I wonder and now if it, it is noise reduction. I wonder if it operates the same way. But yeah, I, I make heavy use of that when I'm when I'm doing post in the editing stage. So I'm excited to give that a shot. But you know, and then we were talking about that, that and then we kind of branched from there into general software updates. You know. Yeah. So as a, a systems administrator, obviously you have the potential to be managing a lot of systems. So we wanted to talk a little bit about how to manage those systems and you know updating core packages or otherwise in a responsible fashion, such that you don't break anything and if you do break something it's easy enough to go back to the old version or whatever may have to happen there right i mean there are a lot of options if you are in ubuntu shop right now i'm going to tell you you're pretty much your maybe your best slash only option is um canonical landscape it's it's maybe designed more for the clicky clicky shiny happy marketing execs than it is for the actual sysadmin team but there's more low-level stuff you can use and i'm sure jathan will talk about them in a second uh that you can use for that i uh if you use centos or red hat based or even i think OpenSUSE, there's something called uh satellite and then it's open source counterpart uh spacewalk i have used spacewalk before and it is it's all right i mean it's got its weird really weird quirks and registering a system is in my opinion a big pain but have you used it i've not used spacewalk i actually just used satellite today because i stood up a couple of machines oh rad oh that's right you guys have rel licenses yeah fancy schmancy so we don't really use the satellite to do updates though 
Um, what do you use it for? Just standing boxes up? Uh, kind of for standing boxes up, just to keep track of everything. Uh, I mean, you can see nicely the status of all of them. Yeah, that's that's, that's true. Well, I I have used it for uh, rolling out patches and things like that. Um, it's all right. I mean, it's the boxes don't always update when they should, and then you got to figure out why they're not doing that. And there's a little bit of client overhead, just a little bit, because there's a, a Python process, you know, that's always running to check in with the the home base, the home server, but. One thing to its credit, and I, I will I will say this gives it a major edge over a lot of the other, especially GUI uh, software management platforms, is that rolling back package, uh, rolling back patches that have failed and stuff is a breeze. As long as the box can like boot and check in and get commands from the server, as long as it's not broken, as long as that one particular patch is broken, assuming it's not for like curl or Python or something, it'll it'll pop in and you can before you push out a patch, you can generate like a, a saved profile of either like a, a golden image where you want all the clients to match it or uh you can save like client specific configurations you know so you can save uh, like this box has apache and ntp installed whereas this box has maybe i don't know mysql or uh postfix or whatever you know and you can take an image of those those the packages installed and what versions and then it'll you can push out the patch and then you can roll back to those versions if it doesn't quite work out the way you want. So that's pretty handy. It's also pretty yeah, handy pretty... with... Uh, sorry, what were we saying? Oh, I was going to say, yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah, um... you might want to leverage that for your place. But yeah, you should you should try leveraging that for your, for your cluster. Especially if you've already got them uh, registered to Spacewalk. Right. Or satellite. Well, the big, the big thing is here, um, if anyone has listened to any of our previous episodes, I'm sure you know that we use Puppet here. Yeah. And, um, you know, we are a research institution, so a lot of what we do is very compute intensive. And so in an order or in an effort to, to optimize everything as much as we can, most of our stuff is actually compiled from source. Oh. So Puppet takes care of that, and we just say, you know, we put it in the machine manifest, roll this out to yeah, I, I you know, this cluster. I forgot you do that. I still am of the opinion that you should just roll your own RPMs and then distribute it with a satellite. Yeah, so we've talked about that. I'm not sure that we'll do it with our existing systems, but as we expand, it's something that I have at least personally talked about. Yeah, because I think building from source, especially on computing nodes in a cluster, is not sustainable. But, I mean, I'm, I'm not the cluster admin, you are, so... Well, I mean, you have to think, like, maybe you're you're compiling GCC on a compute node, but compared to the compute-intensive things that are happening on that node, how much of that is GCC compilation really going to take? I don't know, dude. I'm still not kosher with the idea of it. Well, I mean, Plus, with I RPMs, honestly... you can distribute the configs with the RPMs, but you can do that in satellite and spacewalk anyways. Sure, but what's there to really have in terms of a custom config? Oh, I don't know. What uh, what do you use for running the um, the cluster jobs? That's got to take some configuration, right? Uh, sure. We use Torque and Maui. Yeah. So, I mean, I've never used them before, but I'm assuming they have configuration files. Right. But you, same thing. We just use Puppet. That file is stored on the Puppet server. And then the client says, okay, my machine manifest says that I'm pulling this file from here and it copies it over. But you've also talked to me about how broken your configs are, how broken your, your Puppet manifest are. Yeah. At times we're working on cleaning it up. And of course, in, in May, once I'm out of school, part of work and my big project for summer is going to be migrating Puppet to a new server and everything. So, all right. I mean, I, I think it's going to get cleaned up a lot, and it already has gotten cleaned up a lot. Mm. 
Fair enough. So I don't know. I mean, the responsible part of what I do, I'm not saying that using Puppet to do your updates is the most responsible, <laughs> but or compiling it does. Well, yeah, but it does keep um, log files of all those things. So you can verify that everything did in fact get updated and succeed. So you know, nothing's left behind. And if something doesn't get updated because Puppet basically looks for, you know, a series of statements to be true or false. If, you know, you say we want glibc to be the latest version available in the repository, then if that's not true, it will update every time. And if for some reason glibc got, you know, rolled back every single, let's just say between every puppet run, every puppet run, it would update it. Yeah, I see. You know what? I just thought of something. Y'all should be using Gentoo if you're doing so much like compilation for your, I know, I know, but like, I'm serious. Like you should, you should probably be using Gentoo if you're doing that much binary optimization. I personally wouldn't be opposed. It would be a pain to manage, probably. Well, no. I mean, well, that's that's the cool thing. If so, you're running Gentoo stable, it's not so bad. Yeah, Gentoo stable. Have one server where you can uh, develop, test, and one other one where maybe you can just dedicatedly package binaries. So you can you can cross compile it, right? You can you can tell Portage to build it uh, matching this particular hardware profile, and then it'll it'll generate packages that you like binary packages. Then you can just sync over to the the clients and then they can just install that and be done they don't the clients don't have to package it and you're still only doing all the fucking around on on one box yeah i mean again i would be in favor of just us making our own rpms and rolling them out because it would save so much time ironically that would be more work than the than the gen 2 setup probably but we already have red hat and centos installed on all of our clusters so yeah are we going to really uproot them and put gen 2 on them no no, probably not. Probably not. But, you know, I mean, if you want to deprecate, maybe not deprecate, it's kind of a strong word. If you want to make a newer cluster to eventually phase out the older one, maybe suggest Gen 2 this time. Well, I mean, I've got that test cluster I just stood up with Red Hat. Once that's done, I mean, we'd like to keep it for a while, but yeah. I'm sure I could find some other nodes that I could set aside and just set up a sample Gen 2 cluster and see how it works. Yeah. Why not? I mean, so I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if we saw the distribution itself, Linux, using less resources. I, you can go both ways. I feel like binary optimization is a, a slippery slope. <laughs> you have to know what you're doing. But, I mean, as long as you know what you're doing, yeah. Well, I'm a genius, so. Uh, of course, yeah. <laughs> That's, you know, the one thing I, I would have to stress about backups, or updates, rather, is do them. You can, you can either do them scheduled or... Maybe a little bit haphazardly if you're more of a cowboy admin. Just be careful that your management won't be affected by it because that will get you in trouble. You know, or, or whatever. Like, just make sure you get them done. At the very least, security critical updates. Because do you as on your updates? Do I? For my yeah. personal boxes, yeah, but not for my, my public production stuff. I don't cron updates for system administrivia, which is why I always, like, you'll see me tweet, like, server's going down, new kernel, and shit like that, so. And why don't you cron those updates? Just because you're afraid of something breaking? Yeah, I mean, that's just generally rule of thumb, you don't want to do that for public production stuff. Like, my, my desktop, and it's a desktop, so it's already inherently more complex, way more complex than the box I use for system administrivia, but my desktop, I upgraded to... Gnome 3.16, which is a little quirky, but I, I'm, I'm digging it, you know, feels cleaner, it looks a little bit sexier. So I upgraded, laptop went through without a hinge, 
But on my desktop, I have NVIDIA card and I use the, the binary blob driver for NVIDIA, which as it turns out, the AUR package for installing the NVIDIA binary driver doesn't really make all the sim links you need to run Wayland, which is what 3.16 GNOME uh, uses, X Wayland. So I, I had to I had to sim link manually a couple of li- uh, library files. I mean, no big deal. It was like 10 minutes out of my day, but... If that was like, where would you use a desktop environment in production? If that was like a developer workstation or like an internet kiosk or something, that would be 10 minutes of business lost. True. So, yeah, I mean, you want to not blindly and automatically do your updates. If you have if you have one test box that exactly matches the profile, I mean, exactly down to the config file, I'd say even like if possible down to the IPs assigned to it but you know whatever if it really 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 close is closely matches your environment in production i would run your updates on that blindly check it make sure it's okay you should have a checklist of all the all the services you should consider necessary for it to pass production and you should have a, a list of how to test each of those services right so like apache hit this url log in at this url uh download this file you know like stuff that you you, you are your production environment considers necessary so if if it all blindly passes, great, you know, push it, push it to all the production servers. You've already proved that everything should work. Just keep in mind that you do run a little bit of a risk that way, but it is Definitely. a, it's a much safer way than just blindly updating all your production shit. So I don't know. I mean, do whatever when you do it, do whatever matches your company policy. If you're a small mom and pop shop and it's, it's like the weekend or it's at midnight and you're just fucking around, hanging out after hours. Yeah, sure. Do an up, do an update. Maybe take a backup first. But yeah, do an update, whatever. See, and that's how, like, we have some just, like, random VMs that aren't really used for much at all. Mm-hmm. And those are not scheduled in any way. It's just like, oh, if you log in, just go ahead and do some updates. Yeah, it's like while you're in there or whatever. Right. I would maybe suggest breaking that policy for security fixes, especially, like, critical or major security fixes. Ghost, Freak, Poodle even. Did that re- No, that didn't even require a reboot or anything like that Uh -uh. because those just protocols used by the web server any of those any kernel level vulnerabilities always reboot for those although maybe now we won't have to with the 4.0 branch yeah hopefully yeah it'll be a little while till we see that oh it's you know it's a it's stable now it's in the stable tree oh actually yeah kernel.org check it out right now so that should be an arch very very soon and i'm very excited about giving that a try i mean obviously they they probably have to test it a little bit more to make sure it fits in but yeah i mean if you go to kernel.org right now it says latest stable kernel 4.0 it might say 4.1 by the time you check this you know or 5.0 i don't know i don't know what you're listening to this but yeah so updates very important do them but be careful I think is, is the takeaway from that. We could probably go more into detail, but I don't, we've already spent yeah, I mean, 30 minutes or so talking about this. Crap. If you're going to be doing updates on a bunch of systems, you're going to find a way to do it that's proper and efficient. So yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't think there's one golden rule for how you should apply updates. You know, it's very contextual. Let's, let's stop talking about updates, man. I want to talk about yeah, backups. I'm done. Backups. Backups. Hey, did you ever get Box Backup working? I haven't started. I decided <laughs> to take on Nginx first. Oh, call it. <laughs> there's there's a lot of back, backup options. Usually how I do it is I, um, I have one server, you know, out on the net, and I run Box Backup on that, and I, I sync my backups to that. And I also keep a local, a local external hard drive as well, 4 terabyte external hard drive. And I use that 
to just, you know, keep a local image every once in a while that I update. Just because it's, it's a pain in the ass to sync so much data over the network, you know. For some really important config files, like I, I keep all of my slash Etsy in Git, and then I just do a cron job to commit any changes. You keep it on GitHub? No, hell no. <laughs> really? Just checking. I'd have an Etsy checking. shadow on GitHub, dude. No, it's well, a Well, alright, alright, so you literally take repository. all of Etsy. Yeah. All of it, literally all of Etsy into a local only repository. But I'd say that's less backup and more about like... Saving your own time? Saving, yeah, saving time. Because I'd say of all the things that change the most often that could break the most things, uh, it's going to be in Etsy. What else do I do? I think that's generally it. I'm not thinking of anything else. Yeah, so I just have an rsync script that basically takes the folders that I specify and sticks them on my VPS. Mm -hmm. But I don't really have anything that important that I would be worried about, honestly. And you get no revision history or undelete with that. No, it's true. I'm not saying it's a good way to do it. I'm just saying this is how I do it. Okay. I mean, if my laptop suddenly fell out of my bag in the middle of the street and it got hit by a bus, I wouldn't really miss anything on it. Most documents for school, I end up emailing to myself at some point so I can print. So I have those all stored there. But I don't really have anything that important. And all my photos, I use like basically Google Drive to back those up. Yeah, I I'm looking into something like box backup because I just want to automate the process a little bit more because if I don't actually run that script it doesn't do anything and there's there's some other things too like it, uh, it depends how the important thing with backups is you should never have one backup and you ideally should have multiple f types of backup and lastly you should know the proper context of your backups if you're running an enterprise level system tape backups are still used and still great you know, I think there's like, uh, they just came up with like a, a some huge sized terabyte tapes. I just saw it on Slashdot a couple days ago. Tape, tape backups are still a thing, still punching strong, still a viable option perfectly. They're a bit, bit of a pain in the ass to manage. But I mean, they're, they're the proven standard. They get rotated enough and hopefully replaced enough so that you don't incur corruption. You can dynamically rewrite them. They're easy to check for good backups and things like that. But they're kind of not for the end user or small mom and pop shops and things like that. So... Usually for those cases, you'll, you could probably get away just fine with, uh, either an rsync box or, uh, box backup, which, which... What a lot of people I know do, like, for their personal backups at home is they have, like, a, uh, some kind of file server in their closet or whatever. Yeah, and they, oh, they like back up to that, and then they also back up their backup directory to an external drive. So there's basically two copies, and yes, they're both in-house, which is not really preferred, but... Not ideal. Yeah, it's yeah exactly, because nothing. at that point, if your external drive fails, you've still got the, the backup the NAS itself. If the NAS fails, you've got the external drive. So that, I mean, that protects you from failure, but not like a physical thing, like if your house falls down or catches on fire. And that's the nice thing about having something off-site. But, but at that point, you're incurring a lot more cost for something off-site. Yeah. Well, I mean, it doesn't need to be a dynamic off-site backup. We've, I think you and I have talked about, um, it, was, it was me and somebody. We were talking about uh, safe deposit boxes at banks. Oh, yeah, yeah, that was us. Yeah, so, I mean, you just uh, image it to a second hard drive, drive to the bank, drop it off in the safe deposit box. Do that maybe, like, once or twice a year. So if something does happen, uh, you at least have another option where you don't lose everything. You've just lost a bunch of a bunch of stuff, maybe. I would suggest even doing that once a month if you can handle it. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, that's, that's all I have to say about backups. There's, like... 
there's a lot of like R snapshot, which I think uses R sync. Probably get away with using Z sync and a and an R sync daemon. I mean, there's a lot of stuff out there. In the show notes, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna link to a lot of ones. Yeah, I'm just gonna link to a bunch of them. The important thing is that you check them out for yourself, and when you're evaluating them, read them. Like set it up, learn how it does its backups, learn if it's taking incremental backups or full snapshots or bare metal backups. I wonder if I can do like a a grid like a table on on media wiki yeah i think you can yeah i probably can so cool but we mentioned rsyncing data we did want to quick mention rsync and it's quick advantages over scp i will use scp if it's like one file but if i were out of the habit and i could choose to use anything i would prefer rsync you just get better options for output you can easily sync whole directories preserve timestamps and you can run an rsync daemon, which is really handy if you have stuff that you don't mind other people finding and don't want to give others SSH access. Yeah, I think the big thing is, is just the speed difference you see when you're copying a lot of files or very large files. So rsync oh, uses yeah. a, an algorithm that basically makes sure that only things different between your client and your server or host one and host two is copied. And that saves a lot of time. Do you mean a differential algorithm? Sure. Yeah. Whatever. Got it. <laughs> Keep going, cool. sorry. <laughs> All right, anyway. And, uh, I mean, you just see a huge difference in speed. I just found it funny that you wouldn't mention... The word differential. Keep going. Sorry, keep going. <laughs> Damn it. Yeah. Um, you see a huge reduction in the amount of <laughs> bandwidth used, and you see a much quicker speed for your copy. And that's all I've got. Yeah. And and it can do some really cool things with that that differential algorithm. It can... So, like, normally, like, a file was updated at the same time as its target file. You can compare files based on checksums and really cool stuff like that. So, like, you will know that if a file was edited, you know, it can, it can move somewhere else. But that's... I mean, that's that's just rsync for you. Um, you can use rsync to resume partially transferred SCP files, which is super cool. Um, so if your internet conks out, you have uh, a way to resume that with rsync. SCP, I think, does not support resumed transfers unless you start it with the option to resume it. But rsync will just like, oh, you you stopped at that byte? All right, well, right. let's start from there, which is super handy. And then lastly, I'm, I'm trying to like hurry it up because I'm looking at the timer and it's already been, it's been like 55 minutes. So it'll probably be like a 45, 48 minute episode. Lastly, I wanted to mention, you should really perform your own audits for your company. Make sure you get management approval because you can totally get fired for doing this without permission. But there are some uh, security distributions like Kali Linux and Black Arch and Arch Assault, a couple others. Kali Linux used to be, um, what was it called? What's the old name of it? Do you remember? Um, of Kali? Yeah. Is, um, oh man, I should totally know this. Yeah, exactly, right? I can't, it's, it's escaping me. I'll put it in the show notes, whatever. I don't want to waste time thinking about it. And you can use tools like that, who, which commonly have like Metasploit. We'll be talking more about Backtrack. those. Backtrack. About those distributions. Backtrack, thank you, yeah. So they, they have a lot of pen testing tools just bundled right in. We'll talk more about those specific distributions when we do our, our live distro review down the road. But I will be putting up some links with like Metasploit private primers and uh and and map primers and between the two of them you can uh you can get a very good handle of some really weak spots in your company i mean we're talking like really weak passwords being able to log into certain resources that you really shouldn't be able to from where you're scanning from and things like that that will save you so much time uh and so much frustration for your security auditor slash pen tester i hope you hire one uh just because you do it yourself doesn't mean you shouldn't hire one it just it's like brushing your teeth before you go to the dentist you know like you don't want to get smacked too hard so you kind of you kind of clean up what you can 
you clean up the really glaring stuff and then you call in the professional but i mean it's 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 definitely invaluable and learning the attack vectors people use basically gets you in the mindset of how to protect yourself against those commonly used vectors you start thinking about how can i maybe prevent port scanning on my network because i've done it this way and i've seen it do this so how can i specifically target that behavior and prevent it how can i prevent brute forcing you know stuff like that because you've already done it and again you know on your own network please or any network you have permission to as you go through this you can you can start making a mental checklist being like okay i could probably do something about this like i didn't even know that this could be done so that needs to be fixed and you end up getting a much better security rating from your auditors and management thanks you because management loves it when the company looks good they are paid to make that happen and when they feel that they have done a good job they are very happy. And as a result, they will make you very happy. So you may actually get that recognition, hopefully, that you want. <laughs> Don't count on it, but sometimes it happens. Usually usually if some things are uh, better than they expect. So as a result of this, this also encourages your management to be more receptive to bringing in an auditor. It's like, look, I've secured this. I've even used their methods. I want them to double check my work because I don't want us to lose money. I don't want us to lose customers. I don't want us to lose data. I don't want us to look like fools in the news and the media. Right. And that's that's going to be like a that's a good approach plan for your for your management. So this will help open the doors to that. I don't know. I don't, I don't have anything else to say. This is running. Yeah, I don't really have much to say about that in general. A lot of what I deal with, because we're associated with uh, the University of Colorado, they handle a lot of the like external facing boxes that we have. So a lot mm. of my stuff is simply internal. And so that's not to say we don't have to worry about it, but it's not as glaring, I guess. Right. And my personal stuff, I mean, I don't run anything that's super high risk out there crazy. I use key-based auth when I can. I only open ports that I have to. So it's it is what it is yeah i mean that's that's general good practice um oh you know what i should also just randomly throw into the show notes the uh the nsa's guide to securing your server which sounds like a joke but it's it's is it funny or is it serious no it's, it's serious it's like something they actually wrote and it's actually solid advice i mean it's it's kind of basic advice but it's super long and it's a good baseline guide got it yeah throw it in there yeah i'll, I'll throw that in there why, why the hell not cool this has been Sysadministrivia. I'm Brent. I'm Jonathan. See you later. Mm-hmm.